are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So it's the first Sunday in the season of Lent. In all three years of the lectionary cycle, we always read this story of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. In the years when we are reading from Luke, like this year, or Matthew, like next, it's this rather fulsome story of these three temptations. While in the year in which we read from Mark, it's more clipped Just a a kind of a snapshot, really, when he writes, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him, full stop. But there's another difference between Mark's clipped version and what we hear from both Matthew and Luke. Mark uses the word Satan. He was tempted by Satan. Well, the other two gospel writers use the words, the devil. Now, both of those words, diabolos and satana, mean the same thing, adversary. But we're very accustomed to thinking of Satan as being a proper name. It really isn't. Anytime these words are used, they really should be used with the preposition, the, so the Satan, the devil, the adversary. This voice, this presence, this tempter should never be given the dignity of a proper name. For it is more a tempting principality or power which sets before Jesus the prospect of a distorted path. It's interesting to go back over some of the commentaries and other books that deal with this story, to see how many of the significant commentators didn't even want the reader to mistake this as a debate between the person Jesus and a personal adversary. Both Robert Ferrer Capon and N.T. Wright, for instance, were insistent that it is best to avoid seeing this as a demonic figure person appearing to engage in a tempting debate. So N.T. Wright offers, quote, the story does not envisage Jesus engaged in conversation with the visible figure with whom he could talk as one to another. The devil's voice appears as a string of natural ideas in his own head. They are plausible, attractive, and make, as we would say, a lot of sense. They make a lot of sense, but at the same time, they are the first steps away from the heart of who Jesus is meant to be. And so Robert Capon offers the following. He writes... Notice that Jesus' temptations, as we misleadingly call them, are not temptations to sin. A little bread after 40 days on no food is not a crime. A death-defying leap from a tall building could be the very thing the troops need to strengthen their faith in God's power. 
and some effective measures to stop the ravages of politics as usual might be just what the doctor ordered. The test, therefore, is not to do wrong things. It's to do right things for the wrong reasons. To do good by the methods of the prince of this world rather than to follow the paradoxical methods of the king of the universe. Now think on that for a moment. This adversarial voice comes with three temptations, or perhaps we might pick up on Robert Capon's perspective and say it comes with three propositions. You're hungry. After all these days in the wilderness, If you really are who you think you are, turn this stone into bread and fill that hungry stomach. There's no harm in that. Two, take control of all the kingdoms of the world and make them into what you know they should be. Peaceful. All it will cost you is to bend your knee to me. Three, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and prove that you are who you say you are. God's angels will, of course, save you. And as each one of the temptations is offered, Jesus holds firm by clinging tight to the scriptural tradition in which he has been formed. One, he says, one does not live by bread alone. Two, he says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Three, he says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. I think the story is really brilliantly illustrated in a 40-panel cartoon series created by the English illustrator Cy Smith. He added one panel for each day of Lent. Now, I've talked about the cartoon 40 before, and we actually have shown it in the chapel some years. It's now posted on our website so you can view it, or perhaps review it if you've seen it in the past, because I think it catches the heart of this gospel episode so brilliantly. Smith uses very, very few words. Each of the panels is simply illustration. But at the beginning, before they begin, is the sentence, For my 30th birthday, I gave myself some time away from it all. And then at the end, after all 40 days, all 40 panels, including these temptations, have appeared, comes, And now I'm back. In between the two, you see Jesus pack up and head to the wilderness, beginning with great hope and joy and delight, and then gradually growing more worn, tired, and even listless. A 40-day fast is entirely possible, so long as you have water to drink. It's actually only after 40 days that damage begins to be done to the body. But that doesn't mean that a 40-day fast would be easy, particularly not near its end. In Cy Smith's comic, it's on the 34th panel 
that the devil first appears off in the distance. In the 35th panel, the devil is right there holding a stone to be turned into bread. And how is this figure pictured? Very clean. Jesus is dirty. Very much awake and aware, and Jesus is exhausted. Oh, and the satanic figure actually looks like a very clean, very awake, very aware Jesus. The figure is tinged in pink, but you see very clearly the implication. You can do this. You can forget what you thought you were, and you can be like me. Eat. In the next two panels come the proposals to prove himself by letting the angels save him as he plummets from the temple pinnacle, to have dominion over all the kingdoms of the world at the price of rejecting God's way and assuming this adversary's path. But no, this Satan figure is utterly rebuked in panel 38. And as it flees in panel 39, we see Jesus flat on the ground with two angels coming in to tend to him. The final panel has the angels helping him, almost carrying him back to Nazareth, followed by those few words, and now I'm back. There will be a link in the sermon post for this podcast to watch this 10-minute series of panels. It's brilliant. And of course, as these gospel writers have structured their telling of the good news, being back is just the beginning. Now that Jesus is back from his desert time, he can begin to be precisely who he has been called to be. He will steadfastly turn away the temptation of taking any sort of shortcut, walking steadily with his disciples toward the culmination of everything he is on the hill called Golgotha. And along the way, we will watch as he feeds hungry people, heals broken people, challenges those who are oh so self-assured about their own religious self-righteousness, and press those who follow him to embrace a different way of being God's children. And we'll watch all those times when he needs to go away to a quiet place to pray, to center himself again, because if he doesn't do that, he might begin to forget what he stood for in the wilderness when he stared down that adversary, cited scripture, and said no, no, no to those temptations. Yet we tell the story on the first Sunday in Lent every year, not merely to remember Jesus' particular walk, but also to again remind ourselves of what it might mean to follow him. And here N.T. Wright makes one of the most insightful observations when he says, quote, Christian leaders today sometimes make the mistake of thinking that as long as they are pursuing the right aims in their public life, what they do in private doesn't much matter. 
That is a typical lie whispered by the same voice that Jesus heard in the desert. And I'd add that it isn't just Christian leaders who can make this sort of mistake, for all of us can. Further, I'd point to Robert Capon's characterization of the test Jesus is presented with as being, quote, not to do wrong things, but to do right things for the wrong reasons. To do good by the methods of the prince of this world rather than to follow the paradoxical methods of the king of the universe. That, you see, holds for all of us. The Gospels, the Epistles, in fact, so much of the Scripture, both old and new, are shot through with glimpses of the paradoxical ways of God. How many times, if you think of the grand sweep of the biblical story, how many times did the last and the loser turn out to be the protagonist of the story? How about Jacob, a shyster? Or Joseph, who winds up sold into slavery? Or the boy David, the boy David, who's the youngest and just tends the sheep? What about the adult David, who comes into his own and then is marked by that famous adultery and all of his military and political maneuvering. He's a difficult figure. What about broken and exiled Israel with the cranky prophet Jeremiah helping them to come to grips with who and what they are? What about Jesus himself, born to a peasant girl in a stable in Bethlehem of all places? Or Peter and the rest of that bunch, with their low-class upbringing and their outrageous misses as to what Jesus is really all about. What about Paul, who started his career as the greatest enemy of the Jesus movement and ended by dying for the sake of his love for him? These are the ones, consistently the ones who God chooses, asking them only to keep trying to say no, no, no to the temptations that will lead them down all the wrong paths. And then when they do go down those wrong paths, because biblically they almost inevitably will, God finds ways to pick them up, dust them off, and set them back walking again. I can only say thank God that these are our stories, because they let me know what, that I'll again be picked up and dusted off when I fall. I'll again be set on the road that will lead me to the place I truly belong, and I don't even know completely where that is yet. And it may even look a little bit like, well, biblically, Golgotha. And yet, this is our promise and our hope. Welcome to the season of Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.